0: Please be seated. Good morning, everyone. Those of you who are here and tuning in online, so excited that you are here. Hey, I'm the new guy around this town. Been here one month today, one month when we touched down and landed here in Brockville. We're so excited. My family and I just want to say a big thank you. Many of you have been praying for us, continue to pray for us. Many of you have found creative ways to celebrate us. We had so much so much stuff filled in our pantry, in our freezer. is really interesting because it tells me a little bit about who you are. I got a ton of eggs, so I either have to eat them all or be creative in how I utilize them. A lot of tomato sauce and a lot of potatoes. I've never used all three in a dish before, but man, I'm getting creative. So thank you so very much for the way that you've loved us and cared for us along the way. We look forward to this adventure with you all. When you meet a new person, where does your conversation go? I was thinking about that this week as we've had the chance to meet some neighbors, some new people in our area. The conversation tends to go one of two directions, either towards talking about our relationships or talking about our vocation. It's really interesting to me. And so I thought back further over my lifetime and and tried to figure out, is that true? Sure enough, I've gone to Christmas parties and I've been, oh, you are Bonnie's husband. Nice to meet you. A relational connection. I've met other people, other parents of my kids, and they're like, which one belongs to you? Oh, you're Canon's son. Oh, you're Sadie's, not Canon's son, Canon's dad. Cannon will have a son one day, Lord willing, not today. You're Sadie's dad. Nice to meet you. What is it that you do for a living? My favorite question that I get. What is it that you do for a living? I talk to God. That always goes fun directions after that. You talk to somebody who's been a grandparent. You know, grandparents are the best, except they can't stop talking about their grandchildren. And if there's great-grandchildren in the mix, oh my goodness. They have lots to talk about relationships, or vocation. You talk to somebody who's recently retired, and they talk about what they used to do. Relationships and vocation. So much of how we build our identity as human beings happens to be about our relationships or our vocation. But is there more than that? When those are stripped away from us, who are we? Who do we think that we are? COVID-19 has changed a lot for us. Some of us have felt that change relationally, and some of us have felt that change vocationally. So when our relationships change, our vocation changes, who are we? This is our third week on our Don't Waste Your Work series and we're going to dig into that idea of identity in a real intentional way. So if you've got a Bible with you or if you're viewing online, turn with me to John chapter four. It's in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible. That's where we're going to be headed. Keep that open with you because we're going to be in that chapter a bunch, reading a lot of different verses there. If you don't have a Bible right now, pick up your mobile device, go to your app store, or Google Play, and download the free Bible app called YouVersion, Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N. It is the best free Bible reading app, and a few thumb taps later, and you can follow along with us, John chapter 4. We're going to be camping in this, as I said, for the whole duration of our morning talk this morning. I'm going to be starting to read in verse Seven, But I want to give you just a little bit of a background and context on the first six verses. They're really important, but we don't have time to dig into everything this morning. So I'll just do a brief flyover overview. What you need to know is, as we dive into this story, is Jesus is traveling somewhere. He's on his way from one place to another. He's tired because he's been walking. Traveling in Jesus' day meant you walked or you took a boat somewhere. If you got lucky, you rode on a camel or a donkey, but mostly it was walking, boating, that kind of a thing. Kind of like Brockville, walk or boat, it's really good. The other thing that's really important to know about the setting of this story is when it took place and sort of where. We're talking about the Middle East here, which is closer to the equator. That's a huge clue for us a little bit later. And the when is, verse six tells us, right about noontime. So midday, it's really, really hot. Like we think today is going to be hot. It was really, really hot on this day. Verse 7 is where we're going to pick up the story. It starts like this. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, "Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It comes from it becomes a fresh Bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Let's pause there for a moment. Lots going on in this short story, but let's dig into a few pieces that are critical to understand. The first is this you have Jesus, who's a Jew. You have this woman who is a Samaritan, and the text tells us they're not supposed to be hanging out. Why is that? Did you know that Jews and Samaritans were actually extended family? How many of you have extended family you wish you never had to see again? Don't put your hand up. Just saying. It's out there. Family. You ever have trouble in your family? You ever get frustrated with your family? You ever get confused by your family? Jews and Samaritans were family, but they didn't get along. See, Jews were a people group that could trace their whole ancestry back to the origin story, back to like Father Abraham on both their mother's side and their father's side. They were pure bloods, so to speak. Samaritans weren't. Samaritans were a byproduct of mixed marriages, other races joining the community, other ethnicities, all these different things. And because of that, they were considered less than. It was actually racism on steroids back in the day. Unless you were a part of the elite, which was the chosen, the Jews, you were less than everybody else. In fact, their whole subculture was kind of set up to celebrate that in one way or another. They lived in different, specific regions. Oh, if you're a Jew, you live in this area. If you're a Samaritan, you live over there. So the fact that Jesus was a Jew and he had a, a conversation one-on-one with the Samaritan would have blown her mind. Because it wasn't negative in nature. It was actually life-giving, super-interesting, And really important for us to understand as we get the significance and value of what's going on here. Earlier, I talked about how we tend to define ourselves by either our relationships or our vocation. In this sense, they were defining themselves as a group of people by their relational heritage. And in a moment, Jesus is saying that does not matter as much as you think it does. It does not matter as much as you think it does. Not only that, Jesus was a man, and this woman was a woman. And to have a semi-public conversation like this between one man and one woman was usually around a trajectory towards romantic entanglements, let's call it that. That wasn't what was happening here in any way, shape, or form. Imagine being that woman. You're walking out to the well. You see one guy there. What's going through your mind? Here we go again. Have you ever been hit on? I never have, so I don't know what that's like. But you've had that unwanted attention, that pressure. You put yourself in a situation, and you're like, "Ah, oh, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be interacted with. There's a reason why this woman is out there at noon. Remember, we talked about that in our overview before we started reading the story. Noontime, hottest part of the day, generally speaking. And she is out there doing something that they would typically do earlier in the morning. Why is that? She wants to be alone. Why is that? Probably because she doesn't want to be seen. Why is that? Well, we'll get into it. So you've got this already deconstruction that's happening right in front of us, where Jesus is saying, look, you think you know what's going on here, but I'm telling you, there is value and significance far beyond what you think you are. That's identity. You are more than your family heritage. You are more than what's going on right now. You are more than what is happening in this moment. Something super significant bubbling beneath the surface. Let's continue. Let's discover this because this is fascinating. Let's pick it up again in verse 16. Go get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with right now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth." The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Lots going on there as the story continues. Let's dig into that a little bit. Jesus says right away, this conversation about living water and stuff, and he says, go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have one. And then he's like, you're right. In fact, you've had five, and you're living with a sixth guy. So why is it that she's out gathering water in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat? She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want to be taunted or teased. I grew up in a small town. There's lots of benefits of growing up in a small town. One of the challenges of growing up in a small town is everybody knows you, and everybody knows your business. I remember going to school or going to church, and I'd done something wrong that week. And not only did I get a, a verbal lashing from my parents in a kind and gentle way, but everybody that I came into contact with knew what I had done, knew what my parents did to punish me, and then... Inflicted their own form of punishment on me. It was awesome. It was awesome. I loved reliving all of my worst moments. But it was fun to grow up in a small town because you knew everybody. You knew their routines, you knew their stories. But when your story has some bumps in it, it can be a very frustrating place to be. When everybody keeps talking about the bumps. Five husbands living with a sixth guy. You don't think anybody, everybody in her town didn't know that story? They absolutely did. You don't think she was teased? She absolutely was. Bullied? 100%. Why? Because we human beings like to define ourselves by who we are in relationship to each other and what we do. Well, as long as we're better than that person, then everything's going to be Okay? So she's out midday because she does not want to be teased. She's doing a chore in the household that is typically reserved for the youngest people in the family when you're able to carry water. That's what it was reserved for. If you were like older elementary age, this was your job to do is go to the well and get water. She has no one to go and get water for her, probably because she was unable to have children. Our text doesn't explicitly say that, but the fact that she had five failed marriages and is now living with a sixth guy alludes to that fact. Because the value you had as a woman in this day and age, this cultural reality of this biblical story was whether or not you could produce kids and raise them up. Your value was tied to that. Your worth, your identity was tied to your ability to raise children, to have children and to raise them. So we're talking about somebody who has faced a lot of challenges in her life. Everybody knew her story. Everybody knew her challenges. Everybody knew that her value, her significance and her worth in their world, the way they had defined it was less than what it actually was. This is why the conversation is so important for her. Because she has a conversation with somebody that values her despite all of that. Jesus knew that. And he still saw something that was of value and worth in her. What was that? What is that? It's called the imago Dei. It's a Latin phrase for the image of God. At the beginning of creation where Jesus was actually present for. The triune creator God created all that we know. And when he created us as human beings, he said first, let us create humans in our own image. We are the only part of creation that bears the image of God. So when Jesus sees this woman, you know what he sees? Her true identity. Not who she is not what she's done, not who she's genetically connected to or not, not her failed relationships. He sees an image bearer of the king, the king of the universe. What that tells us, every single life, no matter who it is, no matter when it is, no matter why it is, has value. Every single life that has ever existed, is in existence, or will exist in the future. Every life has value. That is the truth source of identity. And it's in this moment where this woman is reminded of who she is. Someone that has value and worth, is worthy to be loved and cared for, is worthy to be known and respected. The challenge for us is, when we allow our identity to be defined by who we're connected to, who we're not connected to, or what we do or don't do, that's not our true source of identity. If you've ever found yourself feeling restless, perhaps it's because, out of the words of St. Augustine, your soul will only find rest when it finds rest in God alone. If you've been tired of trying to figure this thing out, if you've been frustrated going like, when will I finally get my break? May I ask you this question? Where does your identity truly lie? Who do you think you are? Maybe you're a high school kid and you're tired of being asked this question. What are you gonna do when you graduate? Maybe you're frustrated because you're a young married couple and people keep asking you, when are you going to have kids? Maybe you're dating and people keep asking you, when are you going to get married? Maybe you're not dating and you want to be and people are asking you why you're not dating. Maybe people are going to ask you, when are you going to retire? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do whatever? We are absolutely obsessed with our relationships and our work. And it's all wasted when our identity is misguided. But when our identity is deeply rooted in Christ, in who God says that we are as image bearers, sons and daughters of a king, that's when it makes sense. That's when it makes sense. When you can look on your street and go, hey, this, this isn't the house that I picked This isn't the place that I picked. These are definitely not the neighbors that I've picked. But God has placed me here for a purpose. And what is that? See, this Jewish community, they actually had a job to do. As image bearers of their creator, God set them apart. That does not mean better than. Being set apart means this. You go first they were meant to be ambassadors of hope and life and love wherever God placed them. Because that's their identity. Because that's the identity of their father. See, as image bearers of a king, you and I, when we have a relationship with this king, a friendship, a connection, we get to reflect his character wherever we go. It's not who we are, it's not what we do, it's who we were made to be. We are human beings, not human doings. So I can't help but think that some of us need to be reminded today that our identity has nothing to do with our relationships and nothing to do with our vocation but everything to do with who God says we are. And if that's you, maybe this is the moment, your Samaritan woman moment, where you get to right-size your identity. Or maybe you're on the completely other end of the spectrum. You've never had a relationship with Christ. You've tried everything else. Nothing makes sense. You always feel restless. You never feel settled. May I challenge you, to begin a brand new relationship with Jesus today. And from that connection, that foundation, start to build your life. Verse 27 continues. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. When your life changes, when you rediscover who you are or discover for the very first time who you are, you cannot help but tell everybody. I'm reminded of this all the time. When my kids have a birthday and they get a present, they talk about that present constantly for at least the next 37 minutes. Sometimes it goes beyond that, but at least for in the moment, they get excited. But when they forget how much joy that gift had given them, they stop talking they forget what could it look like if you and I remembered who we are who we were made to be how would that change our Monday through Saturday how would it change the way we see the opportunities that we have at work in our neighborhood in our community How would that change the way we think about ourselves? We're not a mistake. We're an accident. We have meaning and purpose. Don't waste your work. Remember who you are and who you were made to be. Let me pray. Father, I'm grateful for the opportunity that we have to call you Father. And I recognize that not everyone who is here this morning or listening to this has that same opportunity. But it's just a few steps away. All they have to do, Lord, is just call out to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be who you say you are in my life. I can't do this on my own. And I just pray that you'd give that person or those group of people the courage that they need to pray that simple prayer, to reach out and ask for help, ask you to be who you are. Father, I'm also cognizant of the fact that some of us needed to be reminded that everything that you've given to us doesn't define who we are. You define who we are. It's not our absence of stuff or our plenty of stuff you define us? Would you help us like a great pair of glasses, see clearly, see clearly as to who we are in you so that we can go first. We can go first and be an ambassador of hope, life, and love wherever you place us. In our family that lives with us, in our family abroad, in our friends, in our our, our relationship circles and our workmates, wherever you place us, would you allow us the opportunity to see people the way that you do and partner with what you are doing in their lives? We need you. The enemy can try and tell us a whole bunch of stuff, but we need you to speak, your voice filled with life and love, gentle corrective reminders to choose the best that you have in mind for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.